1: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into your Tuesday, January 9th uh, podcast. This is the OBR Film Breakdown, Jake Burns, Andrew Spade. We are here sort of kicking off the Texans-Browns playoff week. Everything is bumped up a day, yet we find it quite interesting that uh, that the Browns really didn't do anything publicly today. When you think about it, they usually would obviously take a day or two, but everything sort of being moved forward uh like is normally the case here the browns would have some sort of uh, media banter or updates on injuries we don't have any of the sorts so we've sort of put together a potpourri of discussion points before we launch into looking at the rosters more closely and then mapping out again by the end of the week we want to give you a pretty clear picture of how the browns win that's the goal so andrew i welcome you in and uh, obviously i think what we should start with if we we didn't get any injury updates we should really hit on from both sides of the spectrum what we're paying the closest amount of attention to compared to the first time these two got together, right? Because since then, Amari Cooper has been a little bit beat up. And they're, you know, if I recall, correct me if I'm wrong here, man, but Will Anderson was out that game, which mattered. We know CJ missed, but it was Jimmy Ward. The safety was coming off concussion that he got beat up in the game. And then if I recall, uh, Stephen Nelson also got, dinged up left and was in and out uh the second half or, or maybe even late in the first half it was a lot of moving parts there uh as what grenard i think uh, the edge rusher too so uh you you help me out on this Maybe you remember a bit clearer than i do it took too many shots to the head in my younger years but i <laughs> i think those are the names that were of interest back then well first of all jake i'm surprised that you
2: don't want to spend an hour breaking down that thrilling contest in uh, cincinnati from from uh, sunday i it seems like from what the film clips I saw you post on Twitter, that that you you got a lot
1: of juice from watching that film back. As I've heard a popular phrase, not going to be able to do it. Just, <laughs> we're just not, we're not doing it. I turned a couple of clips on. I saw some patty cakes, which again, it's week eighteen, and everybody just wants to get the checks in their bank account, go go about their business. Browns trying to get to a healthy next week. The Bengals trying to get to their uh, destination of choice. I mean, I posted to Trey Hendrickson and Jordan Aikens patty cake match like typical stuff you'd see it like a Wednesday practice between a couple guys who are on opposite sides of the scout team and hey man I'm just gonna take this rep off if you can make it look like we're playing hard and kind of you know do some hand combat uh, you know I'll you a favor kind of thing it was you know and again I'm not mad it's week 18 NFL all guys don't want to get hurt all is fair right this game meant nothing so not surprised by but I think it's an actually a, a little bit of a disservice to you guys listening to try to go into that game so we're skipping it all together and we're going to focus on the playoffs unlike unlike the folks that they were just playing against who don't get to focus on the playoffs
2: yeah no it's it's funny it it is it's it's veterans kind of knowing how to take care of each other in that you know hendrickson's been around a while Aiken certainly has and i'm sure those guys were talking
1: hendrickson really loved rushing the passer, though i find that balance yeah he was
2: he was looking for some cheap some cheap cash uh for sure but uh (laughs) When, when the rundowns came, it was like, yeah, hey, we could just stand up. I think we could just stand up. That's fine. Yeah. We're on the weak side here. That's fine.
1: Outside zone, I set the edge. He yeah. goes inside. It's not my problem. Exactly.
2: Right. Yeah. Problem yeah. solved. All right. So to these injuries, Jake, you you, you nailed all of them. Uh, Jimmy Ward is on injured reserve. He went on injured reserve after that game uh, with a quad injury. So that okay. w- that is late enough in the season that he will miss this game. Uh, I, I don't see anything on Steven Nelson, so I assume he's back and fine. The other names you mentioned, Will Anderson, was in and out of the lineup on Saturday night against the Colts, and they missed him big time as a run defender uh, and a pass rusher. Obviously, he's an incredibly talented player. Uh, the Colts were able to get a lot on the ground against the Texans. I know we'll talk about that in a little bit. So, so Will Anderson's status uh, when we hear injury report updates tomorrow will be of, of uh, principal interest to me. Um, and then the other names, Robert Woods and Noah Brown, the two wide receivers, the two con- complementary pieces, uh, mm-hmm. were out against the Colts. So where their status is at. And then Jonathan Greenard, who's like their second best pass rusher also missed that Colts game. So impressive from the Texans considering number of injuries that they kind of went in there on the road, took care of business, but there's a lot of injuries from their perspective that, that will bear watching this week for, for Browns fans. Certainly.
1: Yeah, I think D'Amico Ryans took the Kevin Stefanski notebook where he answered that question today on Noah Brown, Robert Woods, uh, Greenard there that he said, we'll see where our guys end up at the end of the week. Love that answer. It is, I mean, it doesn't have anything else you can say. It's hard to predict where your guys are going to be by the end of the week. but yeah. At a certain obviously, point, you wonder if they just stop doing four days
2: of press availability for these head coaches because
1: what, what... – <laughs> What's coming out of a man? What's yeah, getting, what are you getting? I, I mean,
2: they're they're turning not answering anything into an art form here. And at a certain point, you just kind of start to question the utility of it. But uh, yeah, yeah you're right. That's exactly what
1: stipulations are that you can't even <laughs> you'd have to exactly. stipulate questions. And that's a slippery slope. Exactly. So. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I will be interesting. I On the side of like potential coaching situations looming, Bobby Slow getting a little bit of interest. Got a request today uh, from the Panthers for an interview. I wouldn't mind him being a little distracted, right? Wouldn't wouldn't mind that uh, one bit as the Browns, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, didn't see anything specific from Jim Schwartz, uh, which is one that we thought might have a little bit of interest. But yeah, I mean, that's something to just sort of pay attention to is like, what do the interview stuff look like for a guy like, uh, like Slowik? And how does that take away from preparation? I mean, he's a professional. I'm sure he's going to do what he needs to do, but there is always that little bit sort of looming there, right? For, making some of those big career decisions and um yeah. we'll just kind of be watching that out of the corner of our eye. Yeah, it can't hurt. I think,
2: you know, he took a lot of flack on Saturday night for the way that he called that game. A lot of run, a lot of first and 10 runs when CJ Stroud was throwing the ball really well. You wonder how much of that is him, how much of that is the defensive head coach kind of leaning on the coordinator a little bit to make sure that they are getting the defense some rest and those sorts of things. So I think it's kind of an interesting question to see where – uh Slowick ends up in this whole coaching cycle, considering his lack of experience, one year as a, a play caller. But yeah, it, it can't hurt, I don't think, from the Brown's perspective to have him maybe in two different places this week.
1: No, not one bit. Okay, so on the Brown side, I, I guess we can hang out here and see if Grand Delpit makes his way back this week. That's a huge one. Amari Cooper's heel, obviously a big one. We talked about Cedric Tillman yesterday's show. Would he be able to come out of concussion protocol? That's a major shrug your shoulders thing. I, I finally found the hit. I didn't see it live, Andrew, and that hit was really gross. Like that is he did no clue uh, Akeem Davis Gaither is coming from behind. Yeah. And
2: yeah, it's a it's he, a it's a really yeah. cheap shot. Yeah. It's it's very reminiscent of that Ronnie Stanley hit on Denzel Ward earlier this year. Yeah. Where a guy's cleaning up. That's the sort of stuff I'd love to see them get out of the game. It's not even necessarily, I mean penalty or not, I I he should certainly be fined, right? Because there's no there's just no place for it. It doesn't serve a function. It's
1: like it's not, head hunting with your forearms, yeah, too, man. He,
2: he's not he's not helping the plays over. Plays over. Yeah. It's it's a lot like the Minka Fitzpatrick hit too on Nick Chubb way back when these are these are tackles that are just sort of additional, but they're right at the whistle, so you you get yep. away with them. Yep. I, I would not be holding my breath for Tillman's availability this week, certainly.
1: No, I'm with you on that. Okay. So that covers injury stuff. And really what we wanted to get into is uh, typically, these are what we learned scenarios from the game we we kind of consumed on a Monday, Tuesday night, uh, sorry, Monday night into Tuesday throughout the day. But as you know, we're going to skip that and really just kind of going to hit on what we remember, Andrew. Now, we, we really can't take away a lot from the Browns defense playing Case Keenum, getting up large and then packing it in and letting Davis Mills do some two minute drill type offense for the last eight minutes of the game. So. We're not really focusing there, but we do have some C.J. Stroud data that we want to hit on. We are also um, going to focus, though, on the offense, because I think despite some pieces being shuffled around on the Texan side, I think it's interesting to consider what the Texans are going to do to combat the Browns. A right? couple of interesting points here, Andrew, from the first game. Uh, of all the Browns' run game struggles late in the year, especially the Flacco starts, this was the worst one. All right, so the Browns ran between Kareem Hunt, Pierre Strong, and and Jerome Ford, 27 carries for only 59 yards, and I watched some of those on Chalk Talk tonight, and it really is not them getting blown up at the point of attack. It was one guy, sometimes two, not taking care of business, causing what could have been positive gains to go for one or two or something negative, so... I do think there's a realm of optimism around if they can get the cohesive unit to block, take care of their guys. But uh, from from like a, a space perspective, and you would probably agree with me because the the Colts were able to take advantage of this, creating space in between the tackles. I think the Browns can do that despite the, the failures of the first time. But the data will tell us, Andrew, that this is a really good Houston run defense for the second half of the season. From week 11 on, they have the fourth best success rate against the run collectively. They have the seventh best run defense in EPA. And then when you start to even look at a little more of the tighter data, 3.5 yards per carry since week 11, second overall in the NFL, 0.63 yards before contact. So they're not letting guys get very far past the line of scrimmage before somebody lays a hand, arm, torso on them. That's second in the NFL. So really, really good collectively since week 11 the thing that they're not very good at is the missed tackle stuff which is sort of league average but they are a high number top 10 in total number of run game missed tackles which is at as far as the data in front of me shows is it 47 of those have happened since week 11 so i'm the question i have for you the browns throw for 369 amari breaks records the first time is it repeatable to do that for them to be completely inefficient in the run game and be able to throw the way they were able to throw in this game uh, to, to win. Like I know we're going to dig into this deeper by the end of the week, Andrew, but preliminarily is the same formula there in your opinion, to go into Houston and repeat where they found their success. Not saying Amari goes for two sixty seventy 70, whatever, but the way they scored points, is that a repeatable formula to you?
2: I, I Well, I guess the first way I'd say it is I, I the Browns better hope so, <laughs> because I don't think we've seen any indications, Jake, that the run game struggles are going to get cleaned up. So even if they're able to, to be a little bit more efficient than they were in the first matchup, I think it's still a tough matchup for them. Uh, it's it's worth like big picture remembering when Stefanski was with the Vikings, the, the game where the Vikings got eliminated back in 2019 was against the 49ers. And, you know, D'Amico Ryans was on that staff. Robert Sala was the defensive coordinator. Joe Woods was on that staff. But that, that, they basically destroyed the Vikings offense that day. They bottled up everything they wanted to do, run game, put Kirk Cousins in some really difficult positions. And it was game over pretty early. So I'm not saying that, obviously, Stefanski just got the best of them on Christmas Eve. So it's not, not to say that it's impossible, but I do think that, that Ryans and, and that, That coaching tree, I guess is what I'm trying to say, does give Stefanski some unique challenges, especially in the run game stuff they want to do. So I think that part remains a concern, and then it does really kind of come down to Joe Flacco's performance, how much of that is repeatable. The good news, I think, is that the linebackers and the safeties, especially as we mentioned with Jimmy Ward out, are exploitable in some of that play action stuff. They should be able to find stuff in those situations, and Flacco has been great obviously, using Njoku. So even if they are, do a better job of really focusing on Cooper, which you would imagine would be their adjustment, I think then you kind of hope that Njoku, maybe somebody in a tertiary slot like a David Bell, can have a few impactful catches in those soft spots over the middle uh, to, to to loosen things up and keep the chains moving.
1: So the question is, are you concerned if they can't run? Like, we've we've sort of seen this formula where... They haven't run much, but they're still finding success Now we get to these games, Andrew, where everything's under a microscope where we've you and I have been kind of like ignoring pushing it into the corner of the room where you you know you guys aren't running it very well, but this stuff you're throwing it pretty well for success, and you're creating explosive plays, et cetera, et cetera. You get credit but in these playoff games, you do need to run it a little bit, I think, but the level of concern like If this were flipped and they were running it really well, but they couldn't throw it, you would obviously be a little more concerned there, right? For sure. Yeah, I just think you don't want to be this unbalanced
2: going into the postseason. I think the reason, Jake, you and I haven't really harped on it is because it feels like it would be kind of complaining about dessert at this point because they've gotten (laughs) away with so much this season that it feels crazy to be like – well that you know nick chubb's gone and and they're they're down to their fourth and fifth tackles but they can't run the ball it it feels a little rude honestly so it's it i think the way i feel about it is it is what it is um i am concerned about it but i'm not going to like fixate on that concern because i think they've proven that they have a way to mitigate it The, the the you know the question as as always is what happens to to flacco if he loses the hot hand but that's a different conversation as far as what I expect out of the run game. I think that the Browns are going to struggle to run the ball. And I think that the, they're going to have to find a way to stay out of third and longs through passing aggressiveness on early downs to avoid the last thing you want to see, I guess, is a a negative run on first down second and long throw. That's incomplete. Now you're in third and 11, right? So I'd almost rather see them be in that same sort of lane of Uber aggressiveness
1: Again, create that account. Redeem the code OBR for twenty dollars off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not dot com. It is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the twenty dollars off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Yeah, they have to do what they're best at. And and you know, you can test the waters to your point, see what you can get going, but I don't think it needs to be in the third quarter and we're asking why have they run the ball 18 times for 38 yards? Stop trying it. Just throw it. If that's where you're finding some success here. So this is where it's less experimental than any time, right? Where you have to just do what works and stop trying to create balance or, or work through your run game issues, right? If if what you thought was going to work isn't working, the Texans have an answer. You can't adjust on the fly. Then you then you're certainly going to need to be able to throw it. And I will admit the Browns have done and shown a willingness to do that in a way they hadn't all season. To be quite fair, they started in the second half, just saying, "All right, maybe we're getting into some bad habits that we don't have Nick Chubb and we're and we're falling into these uh, unbalanced scripts even when we can't do it." So hopefully they can continue in that trend, and we have no reason to think they won't. Uh, the The second question I have off of this, from looking through the data, is that the Texans ran 61 snaps in zone to seven snaps in man. Now, some of this is a little murky because the Texans play, they play a decent amount of cover three, and that's true zone to me, but they play a lot of match quarters. Again, talking back, Joe Woods, Robert Solid, these guys, they like to play match quarter stuff, which can look like man, sorry, excuse me, look like zone, but actually be man or vice versa. People confuse man for match quarters because you got guys running and painting up certain routes. It's very much... The point of match is not spot dropping is not cover four to cover grass. You're covering a person. So you kind of have rules in place to take care of like three by one formations, who covers outside, who covers middle, who covers inside that kind of stuff. The FIFO rules, the banjo rules. There's a whole bunch of, there's a whole bunch of lock rules and things like that. But moral of the story is I was looking at last time these two teams played, I was like, that doesn't really look like a man coverage snap to me. That's more of, if you look at how they pre-snap align that's that's match quarters that just the route concept unfolded in a specific way the browns punished it and i think the thing that we were really concerned about going into the jets game andrew was you know what are they going to do against a team that plays a lot of man because they hadn't played a team that played a lot of man look at the the broncos the um the the rams at that point the jags a lot of zone stuff and the texans really did although it's match quarters they still did play at least zone. I wonder if they switch it up. The question is going to be to me, do you think they completely pitch that plan and go with some, some unique and different things, which is kind of like what the dolphins did with Fangio. If you watched them play the bills here recently, just the other night did a lot of cover zero stuff, just creating some different stuff. I think kind of where I'm going with this, Andrew is then the playoffs. You try to maybe buck the trend of who you've been and how you've done things because you're trying to create like a couple quarters of disruption for the offense that can get you enough turnovers or stops to make the game tilt in your favor. The Texans are a little different here in the case that, you know, Ryan's is a guy that Stefanski from his core is very familiar with. So I'm curious if they get really funky with some of the looks they give the Browns coverage wise to just differentiate things. So I don't know, maybe they think the status quo is the same because if you look at like the, 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 example of this game like there weren't many blown coverages i thought flacco just made some real throws and amari cooper made some really great plays so i wouldn't say the texans were out of position per se um all too often but i certainly thought you know there there were some times here that the browns looked pretty damn comfortable so i am curious to see how D'Amico Ryan adjusts what he typically does
2: yeah i was kind of making the case last week before we knew who the browns were going to be playing that Maybe you see the Browns really rely on their defense more. I, I, I'll i be interested to see how that side of the ball matchup evolves throughout the game because I do think there still is an argument for Stefanski doing some conservative things, even if it's not in their interest, just because the risk-reward changes when you're in the playoffs. I think there was a dimension late in the season of playing with house money a little bit with some of the some of the aggressive pass game stuff that they were doing. And I wonder if that changes now that you're in a single elimination tournament and, and you want to be super-duper extra careful with the ball, right? I think one of the things that it feels to me, Jake, is that the Browns cannot really <laughs> – would struggle to survive a, a deep early hole. I, I think that's fair. With with it being a road game, with it being a, a situation where the, the the other defense can – and then pin their ears back Joe Flacco not liking pressure I think if they got down 14 it would I mean this is true for every team in the NFL right it, it becomes an uphill climb at that point but I do wonder if early in the,
1: this year at least this year the four right, teams exactly. in the past you felt right. like it. I mean in the AFC said it's probably just the the Dolphins when they have a healthy waddle and most you feel like they could erase that probably the Bills right now are the only team that you feel moderately comfortable with, there, right? I don't know. It's not. It's a different discussion, but no, I, it, I hear you. Yeah, it's the league is less explosive
2: overall, for sure, yeah. for sure. I just wonder if there's a there's a little bit of a plan from Stefanski to your point of kind of going against what's expected to try and find some stuff in the run game that works early to to avoid having to put it all on Flacco in the first quarter. Because I think if you can put together a long drive or two, if you can possess the ball for a while, you get the crowd out of it a little bit. There are some like longer term tactical things that you can try and accomplish in the first quarter because it's unlikely that the the Texans are going to come out and be, it feels to me like they're not probably going to play super rattled. That doesn't feel like that the team that they are, I understand the rookie quarterback in the playoffs thing, but it, it has never felt, as you've said, it does not feel like that's who CJ Stroud is. I, I don't think he's going to flinch in this moment. And so I think the way for the Browns to have success is to kind of grind at them a little bit, which mm-hmm. is hard to do when you don't have a running game. But I wonder if they try and find a few ways to do it.
1: Yeah, they it's going to be interesting to see how Kevin does that, because sometimes it has felt like the Browns have found some early leads through some very difficult situations. And Kevin's had this, at least to me, he's never outwardly shown this, but this like who can't believe that work. Now maybe we tighten it up a little bit. Right. And then these turnovers have happened, have hit them. Uh, to an extent I don't know. I'm fascinated it's one of the more interesting storylines to see offensively if they change a little bit of who they are who they have been right to 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 versus where I guess the hot hand that they rode to this point do you then go into a playoff game and say yeah man we have the utmost confidence in in Joe Flacco to keep flinging this thing around like you know Joe Montana you know just high (laughs) just high volume like 40 throws a game like I mean you wouldn't trust him him at this point would you yeah. I mean, I, that's a, that's actually a pretty good question. Andrew, would you, <laughs> would you, how would you go about that? Like I, you and I have talked about this a little bit where it's like, yeah, is Flacco really going to rip off like a 13, not 13, but like, what is it now? Five plus a four, nine game rager year. Right. I mean, it feels like he also has had some clunkers, right. He's had some game. Like we talked about, there's a bad Flacco game. I think, do we label the Jags game as that I can't remember. He had one, the, yeah, the Bears, Bears I think game. is the
2: Bears game is the yeah. one that really the first three quarters of that were pretty brutal.
1: Yeah. So like, I think if I were the Browns in this situation and it feels to me like we're playing on house money here, I understand that the playoffs are more open than they have been in recent years, but I would be pretty disappointed if they tuck their tail and just played to win like 1310. Like, I think they should should ride what they've been doing and try to continue. And I I really don't, and I would predict that they don't do that. I would predict that they have no fear in having him throw a high volume again and living with, with the consequences of that.
2: I agree with you. And to your question, I would not blame them. If if Flacco throws 40 times and a few of those 50-50 balls that he's been throwing up go the wrong way and he ends up with three picks, I'm not going to be sitting there in the third or fourth quarter second-guessing Kevin Stefanski. Their run game has been non-existent for two months that Flacco has been as hot as hell. And most importantly, Jake, it's it's the same thing I said when I was a little bit perturbed by their approach to the Cincinnati game. I'm not in the building. You know, I I don't know these guys day in, day out. I I trust this coaching staff. They have had good plans against their opponents. And they. the other thing that they've done that I think they deserve a ton of credit for is understanding that it's a four-quarter game. So even though I said earlier they don't want to get down early, they're not going to panic if they're down 10-0 in Houston by the end of the first quarter. They're, they're not going to flinch there either, and then you're going to see Flacco throw the cover off the ball, right? So, yep. like, I, I'm not going to get after them for any of that stuff. I understand exactly what you're saying, that that they've gotten this hot on this winning streak that unfortunately kind of ended in a weird, you know, meaningless game way the the reason they've gotten to where they've gotten is by being very aggressive and playing a little bit, like you said, with house money, a little bit like they know they can get away with it or they don't care if they do. And that's
1: fine with me. I'm fine with that. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's the fair thing. And I, I would hope that people, if, if they do this to your point, not turning, it's like, it's like, this isn't the same as Miami going away from Devin, Dave a chain yesterday. Right. Like, in that big moment, like he goes for a hundred yards in the first half, et cetera. So like, that's not the same thing to me. So, um, you know, as I'm watching Michigan is going to win a national championship here, which is pretty crazy to think of.
2: Absolutely incredible meltdown from Michael Penix, a a guy that I had a ton of confidence in coming into this. I can't believe how badly he's played tonight.
1: I'm in awe. Some of the things that are, people have been concerned who are not big believers in Penix have, sort of reared themselves in this one as Michigan just plays a very condensed, they play an NFL style coverage. Like they are very NFL oriented in their thought process in the secondary. So that's, uh, I just, I, again, I can't believe these are the two best teams in college football. Anyway, um, we digress. I, I do like, I want to be very clear that if it does get to the point where it's like, Flacco can't dig out of this hole, you know, they're throwing to it like that. This is who they are. And I'm comfortable with them going down that path because like you said, it's not like they're ignoring Nick Chubb in the backfield to do this. They're, they're a bad rushing team. So again, if they start a game off and run for 50 yards in the first quarter, let's change our discussion a little bit here, maybe perhaps, but if they continue to do what they've done, it's not going to be a time where I'm second guessing. It's just going to be like, all right man the clock kind of struck zero in this thing and that happens right so anyway wanted to close with the the question on just general i we don't have an example of how the browns are going to cover cj stroud we we don't know um maybe that's a good thing andrew maybe it's a bad thing i don't know you know we'll see but uh, i am a little uneasy about the browns on turf on the road <laughs> some of that stuff hasn't been all too kind to them but I, I, I'm very interested to see how they play CJ and how CJ plays them because if we look at the data here, Andrew, he has been at his best, and I mean among the NFL's best against cover three. Okay, the Browns' most popular coverage this year is cover three. Stroud is a .30 EPA per drop back quarterback, 65% completion percentage, 1,250 yards, seven touchdowns, no interceptions. Cover one is where he struggles, which is the Browns' second most popular coverage usage. .03, I have him 30th in EPA among all quarterbacks, 46 of 87, so just a hair over 52%. Four touchdowns, two interceptions, two dropped interceptions. So that's interesting to note. The Browns don't play cover four, but they do play cover two, and he's a .51, number three overall EPA per attempt uh, against cover two. So that's worth noting. He's been pretty good. Takes him a longer time to throw against cover two. But again, that's a normal thing as you let routes develop downfield a little bit. So cover six, not necessarily his best usage rate. Uh, He hasn't done, he hasn't fared all too well against cover six. So the Browns run cover three, cover one, cover two, cover six. Like that's their number. That's the tiers of usage for them. So I don't know, man, just kind of I want to feel out what kind of confidence we have and how they defend him and how they'll what their results will sort of ultimately look like here. He's different without Tank Dell, as that you would expect. Tank's a pretty damn good player. But you mentioned Robert Woods could be back for this when Nico Collins is getting healthier. He just put on a stellar performance last week. Um, I think this is a clash of two really good football units when Stroud is going well and when the Browns' defense is at its best so i don't know man just give me your preliminary thoughts i know we talked about ranking them third because of getting cj back and i'm gonna hate every second of playing against him i I just love rooting for him so i'm
2: weirdly excited about it i'm not as much of an ohio state fan i'm excited for the the strength on strength matchup even though it, it it there's a chance that it goes against the browns i i do like the fact that there was something that was going to be a little bit annoying, Jake. If they got the Jaguars in the four-five matchup and pounded them by twenty, after the way the Jags struggled against ten, you know, they they would have gone into a game against Baltimore, for example, with nobody giving them a chance in the world. I think there's a good chance that the Browns beat the hell out of CJ Stroud and earn a little bit more respect that they have not gotten because this is finally. One of their chances, the the one national game they got late in the season is against Trevor Simeon. Nobody cares, right? Nobody, Nobody's paying any attention to that. The yeah. Defense has a chance to do something here. They have a chance to really do something, to make a rookie quarterback look like a rookie, embarrass him a little bit. And I know that you, a lot of Ohio State fans love the kid. I love watching the kid, but I think it would really help the Browns' case for what they want to do and their confidence to take a kid who has been one of the hottest quarterbacks in the league this year and kind of humbled him a little bit. So I think it's a good opportunity for them to really put a, a skin on the wall, a pelt on the wall, if you will. And I'm looking forward to the ways that Jim Schwartz, a crafty veteran co- uh, coordinator, if ever there was one, will confuse him. I, I think you know you're you're right that the the Browns are very predictable in what they do, which makes it so much more surprising when they throw a changeup. And I think my my prediction is that they throw, I don't know what it'll be, but they throw a changeup. They've got versatility in the secondary. We talked about this with, if Thornhill and Delpit are able to come back, you know, with Hickman being good now, three safeties that they can interchange. I think they, and then deron Harmon too. So, and D'Anthony Bell had an incredible circus. How many safeties do you want, Jake? I've got as many safeties as you want.
1: <laughs> like, they can choose, folks. I
2: think they can throw some stuff at this kid that he hasn't seen in the NFL yet that'll really bother him. And it's, it's a one game. It's one game. So there's no, like, review the tape, get better for next week. You just get this kid into one look. It's kind of like you mentioned the Michigan thing tonight. They had that one run look in the first half that Washington couldn't figure out, and it was two easy touchdowns, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, find that version of what Stroud struggles with, throw it at him, and and get a a pick or two early, or a, a big sack or two, and the route is on. So I, I that's how I look at it. Is it strength on strength? But that means that the victory will be that much sweeter.
1: It's going to be must watch TV, and I, I'm excited because it's the first playoff game. It will have a lot of a lot of eyes on it. I, I don't know how you go against. Listen, CJ could pull this off. I absolutely loathed today when he was on the McAfee show and this this dude who is. I'm pretty sure a committed Steelers fan is trying to ruffle his feathers and saying, nobody thinks you can beat Cleveland. I hate that shit. I'm sorry. It it just is so dumb. Don't get me started
2: on McAfee. Yeah.
1: It's a (laughs) whole different pod, but like I just, that stuff where it's like, again, I don't think CJ's taking it personal from like the Brown side, but you know, you know where I'm at on the, nobody believes in us stuff. I, 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 I think it's a way bigger factor than people want to believe. So, Uh, I am not looking forward to playing against C.J. Stroud, who I think has continually overcome the odds against six, you know, six top 10 EPA pass defenses this year. He's seen good defense, right? And he's, you know, his statistics pushing the football downfield and yet limiting turnovers is really, really impressive. And we saw him make some ridiculous throws in the late drive there against the Colts where he's fading away against the Colts man coverage at the last, just sort of, how I equated it on Chalk Talk is he's just drifting back in the pocket. That was like young Russell Wilson. And then he's able to also, two plays later, on a deep end breaker off of a seven-step under center drop, eat a tackle who is defensive tackle right in the face, hitting him as he throws, and put it on the face mask of Nico Collins. He's really good. And I think he's the best. He's Stafford good, is my thing. I think he is at Stafford level good right now playing. So he is going to be... A, a real challenge. So, and I'm not trying to do the the afraid. No one's afraid here, but it's a, it's appropriate respect, appropriate fear, is what it's called. But I think if you're a betting person, you would think Schwartz has some things up his sleeve to make him uncomfortable. And you have to also, as a Browns fan, trust that the defensive line, which has been very unique in in creating pressure all season from four alone, will be able to win that up front. You have to you have to believe. And if they don't, your team's not going to win the ball game. So that's where it's won. You invested. You got a lot of resources up there. Let's hope they play really well. But that's that's the general early vibe here. We want to dig into some of these rosters in the coming days, like look at comparatively where these two sit. We're going to have a lot of interesting conversations, so we'll still do our mailbag and all of that as well. But you know, when we when we talk about an intro to this thing, like there's stuff to be learned here. I don't think either Andrew or myself have really like done a deep dive on these things. But this was some of the data that stood out to us kind of early breaking this thing down. Yeah. One one more thing, too, on
2: on the schedule stuff, because I was just looking at that today to try and get a sense of where these teams have been this year. It's it's tough, right? Because you, you don't pay a ton. You're not watching Houston Texans games weekend and week out, even with Stroud being the player that he is. By DVOA, the Browns faced the third toughest schedule in the league. Um, the, the AFC North was was rocky. It was the Bengals faced the toughest. The Steelers faced the second toughest. The Browns were third. The Ravens were fifth. So the AFC North, for all those teams to have a winning record, very impressive stuff that the AFC North has done. The Texans faced the 27th toughest schedule by DVOA. And the reason for that, Jake, is that they played their their one of their division matchups was obviously the AFC North. The other one was the NFC South. So they played 10 games this year against the AFC South and the NFC South. So you're talking about two against the Titans. They won both of those, right? You're talking about a game against the Panthers, which they somehow lost. You're talking Mm -hmm. about a game against the Falcons that they lost. They beat the Saints. They beat the Buccaneers. So they weirdly beat the better two teams in the NFC South. They were six and four against the AFC South and the NFC South. And then they were two and two against the AFC North. So I feel like on the whole, on the level, if you're looking at this team and the strength of their schedule, they really have played over the course of the season. And and DVOA backs this up as an average football team. They're, they're, they're uh, 12th overall, 14th on offense, 16th on defense, 7th on special teams. So roughly an average football team, a little bit above. You just talked about Stroud. He's the difference. If you look at this team minus that quarterback piece, you're you're not moved much, right? And that's where we were on Christmas Eve when it was Case Keenum. It was like, okay, I guess we'll do this. Yeah, but Stroud is the difference, and he is the he's the he. If he can do something that very few rookie quarterbacks can have ever done and take over a game, then you've got concern. But I think the Texans' track record suggests that they're an average team that has played about to the level of their competition all season. And that has lo- led to some losses that they shouldn't have had and some wins that they shouldn't have had. I think D'Amico Ryans does, does does deserve a ton of credit for the job that he's done. I think it's him and Stefanski, honestly, for Coach of the Year, which is another wrinkle to make this matchup even more interesting. I tend to think that the some of the limitations – that the Texans have overall roster wise will show up in a playoff game and i think that if you look at the schedule you get you get a little bit more sense of who they are as a team that they they have not really had that sort of dominant really impressive performance they went into cincinnati and beat the bengals I, we talked about this when they played the first time that was their signature win because that was a joe burrow bengal's team 30 to 27 in cincinnati yep. but i think we also know now that that cincinnati defense never really found it this year they replaced their entire secondary and guess what? That didn't work out so well for them. So uh, I I think that's a, it's just another perspective here that I, I do agree with everything you said about Stroud. I think he's the difference, but the rest of the team overall, it's, it's a team that has, I think overachieved given the level of talent. And you see that when you look at their schedule.
1: I do also think it's worth noting before we close here, that these playoff games are where like coaching is very under a microscope because Like I can sit here and tell you what the Browns have done coverage-wise all year. I can tell you their blitz percentage. I can tell you their favorite blitzes. I can tell you a lot of what they call on offense. Who breaks the trend and creates confusion for the opposition? This is like in the playoffs is where coaching and the ability to sort of outmaneuver the other staff is under a microscope. And I think... I have a ton of respect for D'Amico Ryan's as well, but the Browns have more experience on their side. They should they should handle this. Uh, they should handle That's it. A great point. So let's hope that they can get the grasp on how they have to go about doing things differently on both sides to create the advantages for the outcome that we saw similarly yeah. in Week 16.
2: Yeah, that and that reminds me of a question I wanted to ask you. How do you evaluate playing a team? You know, it's going to be what three weeks later. Yeah how how do you how do you Sort of parse that, Jake. Do you do you see that as more of an advantage for the team that lost, or is it you kind of like throw it out even from the team's perspective because the quarterback is different? Or how I, well, yeah, I, I the defense to know gets how to feel about that. Right, the
1: defense gets nothing because that's the you know, you know this the huge part of it is missing. The offense, I just would like to know what wrinkles they have to 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 deviate. Maybe an uptick in blitzing, but they don't like to play man. That's not who they are, but. You know, teams will certainly say, you know, from the plus 30, they love these coverages. From the midfield in, they love these. There are trends that they follow. So, you know, if you're talking in your coach's headset and you're saying, hey, huge cover four indicator here, let's go, you know, trips right, X Rhino, whatever, 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 like those things you can tilt a little bit to be different. So I don't think you're going to see D'Amico or Kevin slash Jim. Rewrite who they are. But I do think that, again, just some like y- we forget this because we haven't yeah. seen the Browns in the playoffs enough to know. And we, I mean, at least me, get so frustrated with the end of these past few seasons that we tune this out. But like when you're watching NFL matchup the next day, whatever, whatever, it's all about breaking down what one coaching staff did to the other to create some confusion that led to a couple interceptions or that they couldn't get anything going till late in the third quarter. Like, that stuff is magnified in a huge way because, again, the, you have 18 weeks of who you are here, right? And this is technically 17. You know, you're playing 17 ball games. So, yeah, I, I think that's a good point, Andrew. What can you take away? The offense has to feel some confidence against these guys because I don't think the Texans are going to rewrite who they are. Um, but, again, on the flip side of that, you know, you obviously are a little um, uneasy about what they, what they get with CJ Stroud. Cause that's just a different animal and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. But I do also like that. They're very familiar recently with traveling to Houston and, and where they're staying in the stadium, which is obviously going to need to be cleaned up here. It's going to get an absolutely rain maize and blue, uh, you know, confetti here or whatever. But like, I do like that element too, Andrew, there's very much recent familiarity with being in Houston and all of that stuff too.
2: Yeah. I think it should help. I think that they if you you know buy into the psychology stuff they just won pretty convincingly in that building i think they they won last year in that building on a bunch of defensive turnovers so they've got good recent history there so no no reason to fear that angle of it it's not like they're going into pittsburgh or baltimore yet anything like that so yeah uh yeah i i i agree with you jake and i i think I think the Stroud thing is, is just so funny because it warps all the rest of it. So that's kind of why I wanted to bring up the schedule stuff because I just want to like, it's 22 guys out there. And Stroud obviously can stand on his head and do some stuff, but that it's going to take everybody. And, and you mentioned the offensive line. There's a lot of different ways that you, you have to like this matchup for the Browns. I think looking forward to breaking down this both of these rosters in depth to see where they are now versus where they started the season.
1: Yep, Can't wait. Good stuff this week. Jam-packed with information. We'll give you guys a chance to fire off some good questions the way you do in tomorrow's show, and then we'll get to looking at a bit more of the broad AFC playoff picture, NFC playoff picture with Jordan Zerm, and then have a Texans guest, and Andrew and I will get with you by the end of the week to uh, to break down and and pick apart how we think the Browns go about actually getting a win in this game. It's going to be fast and furious. Uh, We have one less day than we traditionally do, having the Browns play on Saturday, so keep that in mind as the podcast schedule comes out. But otherwise, for Andrew and myself, thanks for stopping by. We appreciate you guys hanging out, taking time on your Tuesday to listen to this podcast. We will be back with your mailbag edition on Wednesday. If you want to get a question in, go ahead and go to Twitter or the OBR website. You can fire off those questions via DM, or you can respond to the tweet that gets posted. We can't wait to get to that episode where we answer all those questions and your talking points. Until then, as we always say, thanks for being here. Go Browns.